好，这里是正在为您上。Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Welcome to the Merrick's podcast. I am Claudia Wessling, Director of Communications and Publications at the Mercator Institute for China Studies. And today I am joined by Victor Schur, Associate Professor at the School of Global Policy and Strategy of UC San Diego. We are going to talk about the Evergrande crisis that is currently going on in China and that sends ripples over the world. Victor is an expert on the politics of Chinese banking policies, fiscal policies and exchange rate, as well as the elite politics of China. He was actually the first analyst to identify the risk of massive local government debt in China and has just recently published an edited book titled Economic Shocks and Authoritarian Stability. Hi, Victor, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Claudia. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Talking about debt and economic shocks leads us right into the heart of today's topic. Um, in China, the Evergrande Group, one of the largest property developers on earth, is at the brink of collapse. Um, the group has accumulated more than $300 million in debt. The deadline to make an $83 million payment to overseas investors came and went with no indication that Evergrande has met its obligations. Victor, maybe let's start at the beginning Uh, what has caused Evergrande to get under pressure and what kind of company is this to begin with? The underlying cause of the current problems is the very aggressive borrowing of Evergrande, uh, as well as other property companies uh, in China. So Evergrande, of course, is not alone. What is unique about Evergrande is that it has been able to uh, start projects in a large number of cities in China and also borrow very aggressively from the banks, but also from uh, what we call shadow financing, uh, which is non-bank financial institutions, including trust companies, insurance companies, and other financing companies, often at very high interest rates. So the interest payments, as you mentioned, it is almost always the precipitating cause of financial difficulties. So the aggressive borrowing, the immediate trigger for the recent stories about people who are protesting uh, in Evergrande offices, bondholders who are missing uh, interest payments, is a new set of regulations that were rolled out by uh, the People's Bank of China, but also the Ministry of Housing in August, which basically ordered all the financial institutions to stop lending to property developers who are highly levered. And of course, Evergrande uh, is the largest and also one of the most levered property development companies in China. And so the bank suddenly stopped lending money to them according to this regulation. And Evergrande, uh, which has counted on always being able to borrow more and more money from the banks to repay the old debt uh, and also to start new projects, suddenly find itself without any money with which to pay debt and interest payments that are coming due. 
sounds like a vicious circle that was all of a sudden interrupted by stricter regulation. Um, Victor, we don't know what's going to happen yet, but if Evergrande went bankrupt, what would such an insolvency mean for China's real estate sector and uh, maybe looking a bit beyond that also for the financial markets in China? Yeah, so bankruptcy uh, in recent years has evolved to become something very different from bankruptcy in the West. You know, in the United States, the court more or less takes over the, the company, then it begin order the kind of sales of all the assets of the company to repay creditors. So that sort of nominally is also the procedure. Uh, there, there is a bankruptcy law in China. Nominally, that should happen in China. But what we see in recent years is that instead of the court and the creditors taking over a company, the banking regulator, the CBIRC, would form a creditor committee, which is dominated by uh, the state-owned banks, uh, who often are indeed the main creditors, into a sort of a creditor's committee. But the creditor's committee will not necessarily completely dissolve the company. Instead, will order what they would consider an orderly liquidation of assets that either, you know, in some cases like H&A Group, will ultimately lead to a complete a dissolving of a company, uh, similar to what a bankruptcy court would do. But in other instances, maybe the company gets restructured, or maybe even the whole point of the creditors committee is not to completely dissolve a company or restructure it, but to shrink, forcefully shrink the balance sheets of a company so that it has less assets and less liabilities at the same time. And that could be what's happening to Evergrande. So instead of a complete disillusion of the company, you know, where all the assets are sold off and then, you know, as much debt is repaid as possible, we may see that Evergrande has to sell some of his assets and it's already doing so. But then after enough debt is repaid, then the regulator says, okay, you can keep on doing what you do, but, you know, in a way that's safer, you know, in a way that you don't borrow as much money as before. So we could see something like that also. And this is why overnight Evergrande stocks, you know, rose by 20%, you know, or something like that, which, which I think it's a bit premature, you know, things like that. But I think some investors are thinking that, well, maybe this will not be like a case of H&A Group where the company just disappears. Maybe Evergrande just has to shrink its balance sheet to some extent. In media reports, there has been a lot of comparison um, saying that uh, Evergrande is China's Lehman crisis. Would you really share this view? And if not, why not? Thus far is not a Lehman crisis because what happened to Lehman, uh, which is you know a major brokerage in the US back in 2008, 2009, was that Lehman, it, it didn't really borrow so much money, but it issued IOUs basically to a lot of other financial institutions. And so, you know, when these other financial institutions had their own trouble, they went to Lehman to say, okay, you told me that if I ever got in trouble because I bought these securities, you would pay me back. Now pay me because I'm in trouble. And Lehman Brothers says, well, I don't have money with which to pay you. 
And the reason why Lehman could not provide that liquidity was because no other financial institutions lend money to Lehman Brothers. So basically, financial institutions just stopped lending to each other. And before a massive kind of fiscal and also monetary bailout that we saw in ultimately in 2009, the entire financial system was frozen. This, at this point, um, is nearly impossible for that to happen in China, precisely because of the CBIRC-led creditors committee, right? So the whole point of these creditors committee and the whole point of why the banking regulator needed to be involved or even leading these committees is because the big creditors to Evergrande, let's say, would say that, oh, well, you know, Evergrande didn't pay us this month. And so we can't pay our creditors. And if this continues, we're going to be like Lehman Brothers. And the regulators would look into the book of these companies and say, okay, you're telling the truth. That's not what we want. And then the CBRC will either order a major bank to lend money to this smaller lender, or even just directly request the PBOC to, you know, PBOC being the central bank of China can print money infinitely. The PBOC can directly lend money to a troubled lender. So a lot of that is happening behind the scenes. And so because the regulators know about which financial institutions are not getting liquidity, they can rescue them in time. Of course, the management of these companies will, will be punished in, in many instances, but at least they will have the money. And we haven't seen any kind of liquidity-led panic in the Chinese financial system so far. So it's really quite a different toolkit that the Chinese government has um, in, in comparison maybe also to the U.S. government at the time uh, when Lehman went, went broke. What's your take? How will the Chinese government continue to navigate this crisis? I mean, you gave a few examples of, of what they're already doing or, or what they might do. Are there other steps that you see coming? Yeah, so right now, again, you know, they're, they're trying to force uh, Evergrande to sell assets Uh, but interestingly, they're also ordering the buyers of these assets to buy it at a high price, right? Because typically in, the, in this kind of distressed sales, investors are not going to be interested in buying an asset from a distressed company unless the price was really good. You know, like people would pay 30 or 40% of what the price is, you know, before the company got in trouble, because they want to make money, you know, and, and there's considerable risk in buying what we call a distressed asset. So people like to pay, you know, 30 or 40% of the nominal value, and then maybe sell it later on, you know, at 60% of the previous value, and then they still make a lot of money. But it looks like the CBIRC is ordering buyers to pay, you know, book value, or maybe 80% of the book value of these assets, And the point of that is to allow Evergrande to repay its creditors, right? So if everyone is only paying, you know, 30% for these assets, Evergrande still will be unable to repay its creditors. The CBIRC doesn't want to see that happen. But the problem with that approach is that then China becomes kind of like a planned economy, right? So you can imagine as more and more property companies get in trouble, the CBIRC will have to step in and say, okay, you have to pay X price for that. You have to pay Y price for that. 
And then all these transactions become government-led. All the prices are government-determined. And the whole property market just becomes like a, a planned economy. And the repercussion of that is that, you know, there'll be less private sector actors in this space, which maybe is the desired outcome of the government. You know, maybe the government says, well, for many years, private investors have dominated real estate. We don't want that to be the case anymore. We want state-owned enterprises to dominate property development in China. That could be the ultimate one ultimate outcome of the current round of tightening. Not a financial crisis, but yet another aspect of the Chinese economy being dominated by the government. Might that be a goal of the Chinese government? I mean, Xi Jinping has said in his speeches that housing is for living, kind of alluding to the fact that um, housing is very expensive in China and that this creates social problems. Do you think they really would let push come to shove and decide, okay, the housing sector is not a private yeah economy anymore? Uh, the Chinese government would like to have more state influence. There are two channels for the government to exert influence. One is by owning uh, a lot of property development companies. It already owns a lot of property development companies. And maybe after this round of tightening, the Chinese government will own even more. That in itself is in a way okay, just because we've seen examples of some SOEs behaving just like Evergrande, you know, just borrowing extremely, you know, aggressively. There's a company, Yunnan Chengtou, uh, which is the Yunnan government's investment vehicle. They do a lot of real estate investment. They borrow a huge amount of money to do it. You know, they're, they're living dangerously, <laughs> just like Evergrande. Uh, so SOEs can be kind of quite irresponsible financially, just like the private sector. But the other thing the state can do is to control the pricing and supply of real estate, even more so than it does today. I mean, it, there already are various kinds of price ceilings and price floors and, and stuff like that, but the government can certainly intervene even more. The problem with this is that at a certain point, uh, investors are investing in Chinese real estate because there's still some appreciation that they can expect every year. But if the government... The government's intervention changes this expectation. Uh, so, you know, if Xi Jinping says, okay, property prices will not rise anymore, he can make that happen. You know, he can just say, oh, it just can't rise anymore. Then people lose interest in Chinese real estate because either these companies are so defunct that they can't deliver the final product or prices do not rise anymore then, you know, if investors become less interested in Chinese real estate, it could cause a massive price correction, or at least a high desire by some people to sell their properties. Because, you know, there are a lot of empty apartments sitting in China. So investors have bought up a lot of properties in China and just letting them sit empty. Once this investors start selling, it will lead to a huge supply going into the market and a genuine kind of correction in the real estate market. That, that would be interesting. I mean, on the one hand, of course, people who have wanted to buy properties but could not afford it will be very happy because they can buy at lower prices. But on the other hand, 99% of Chinese households own properties or urban Chinese households, I should say. They own properties, many multiple properties. 
they've put their savings in real estate. And if there was a major correction, their savings would go down and you know they could blame the government for it. That's th certainly something they probably wouldn't want to see happening. Um, maybe let's take a brief detour here. Um, I don't know if you really look into this, but uh, do you have information on how the Chinese population or Chinese citizens view the situation? There are two uh, segments of population who are affected. So on the one hand, you have some you know very pretty wealthy households who have purchased uh, wealth management products or trust products with very high yield that uh, have provided money to Evergrande. Already, they, they are getting these weird offers like, you know, instead of getting your money back, how about a nice new apartment in, you know, Gansu, you know, somewhere, like, uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in China. But at least here you get an apartment. Uh, there's a choice, you know, you either wait for a very long time to get all the money back. Uh, you get an apartment that's nominally worth more than what you put in. Or you. I think there is a third option oftentimes, which is you wait six months and then you get 80% of your money back. So, so Evergrande is making these high net worth individuals uh, choose one of these options. They're not happy about it, but at the end of the day, they're very wealthy, so they're not going to be affected that much. There's another segment of the population that the government is really worried about. Uh, so these are upper middle class investors or, or just people who need a place to live. They have prepaid. So even before their apartment's construction, sometimes even before it has begun, they have fully paid for the unit. Most of the protesters are in this class. So they're upper middle class And that's very different from your usual protesters in China. Usually protest, protesters in China, you know, the migrant workers, people who are not doing very well. But here you have oftentimes government employees who, you know, can get financing easier than other people. They've purchased these Evergrande apartments. They're afraid that they will never be delivered. So they're protesting, they're having meetings, you know, screaming at Evergrande executives and so on and so forth. The government has made it a high priority to deliver these units to buyers, but Evergrande has thousands of developments, you know, or close to a thousand, I should say, ongoing. And, you know, either Evergrande has to come up with its own money to complete them, or some of these assets will, will be acquired by other companies. But again, because the government says you can't buy this at a low price, you must buy it at a high price. Not many companies are interested in buying these partially completed Evergrande projects. Do you think it's likely that the um, government will, will at some point step in and just build the housing that people have paid for just to avoid um, confrontation? Oh, so that, that is happening in some localities, right? So uh, in some of the more cash-rich localities, the local government financing vehicles, you know, these uh, local government vehicles have bought or, you know, thinking about buying some Evergrande projects, but because the price is set so high, they have to have a lot of money. So ultimately it is this kind of central bank issue, right? Because, okay, if you want a lot of local governments, they don't have any money. If you want them to buy it, they have to go to a bank and borrow the money. But They are highly levered already. So the bank said, well, you just told me I'm not supposed to lend money to highly levered borrowers. 
So in order to, for me to lend money to the local governments so that they can buy Evergrande projects, you need to relax your regulation. So it ends up being the same thing. You know, at the end of the day, they, the government is under some pressure to modify at least the implementation of the very draconian regulations that came down in August, which put a very strict line on, you know, how levered these companies can be if they want to receive bank financing. May I briefly ask you to look at uh, what this means for investors abroad? Um, what about overseas investors who have stakes in Evergrande? Well, uh, a lot of the assets of Evergrande, uh, so the new energy vehicle is a non-core asset, probably will be sold to someone else. But, but again, I think the, the good thing about China is that the sale price will be dictated by the government and they don't want, you know, of course, this new energy vehicle A unit was valued at some fabulously uh, unrealistic level, <laughs> I would say. So the pricing of it will come down to earth, but it's also not going to be sold at pennies to the dollar to someone else. So maybe someone will buy it. Uh, new new energy vehicles still very promising, you know, in China. So someone, one of the big players, may may buy it at a decent price, and the unit may continue to operate. The other repercussion actually is in commodities, right? So you can imagine like because of the new regulations in August, because of what happened in Evergrande, property investment just come down sharply. That is going to affect the overall kind of iron ore demand and cement demand in China. But of course, you know, right now there's kind of too much demand uh, and prices are going up. So it will take a pretty you know, major correction for prices to substantially go down from prices that we saw earlier this year. Because right now there's like, you know, sharply upward. So it would have to fall quite a bit to be below what we saw earlier in the year. But it could happen uh, just because real estate constitutes a major demand for iron ore in China. What will be the end game for Evergrande? I uh, have some hope for uh, Mr. Xu. I, I think he's a very savvy person. I mean, you know, of course, other savvy people have seen their empires completely wiped out. Uh, the rumor is that he already uh, has snuck out of China a lot of money through different channels. So the question is whether he will be politically in trouble such that he gets arrested, maybe even in the worst case scenario. He's not in jail yet. He already has a lot of money out of China. And also the government has not seized his company entirely, right? So in, in some of these more extreme cases like H&A Group, the government just comes in and actually takes over the entire company. That has not happened yet. And it suggests to me that the goal here with Evergrande is just to shrink the balance sheet of Evergrande instead of completely dissolving it. Uh, so I think Mr. Xu will be okay at the end of the day. Victor Schill, thank you very much for your insights. And uh, it was a pleasure talking to you as always. Dear listeners out there, I was talking to Victor Schill from UC San Diego about the Evergrande crisis that currently hits China's real estate sector. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks Victor for being here and goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.